0: Where's the mystery in resurrection? It's a garden variety event, as commonplace as roses in April, and just as fragrant, as sweet and easy to spot, as strawberries hidden among the cool shadows of concealing leaves, as inescapable as birdsong showering down upon us from the branches of trees that have stood silent all winter. It arrives on the wing as predictably as swallows to Capistrano and as delicately and undeniably as the indefensible deluge of monarchs sweeping across the North American continent. It is a massive global event that overwhelms our planet. A reminder and promise from the Lord of all. In the language of, oh, from the Lord of all, written into the scripture of the earth, in the language of all living things, in the tongues of trees and grasses, across the rolling parchment of oceans and the vast theology of sky, proclaimed by the color red, announced by yellow, and in the low, unending hum of green throughout the earth, a sweet reminder and promise tasted in the juice of berries and spread by flight upon returning wings and spun into the fragrant, spiraled hearts of roses, an undeniable truth that Jesus' death made possible and made human. In the end, the true mystery of the resurrection is failing to see
1: it. So today's scripture reading comes from 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable. and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know now to see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thanks be to God.
2: I trust you didn't come here this morning thinking, Easter's over, we can move on. Uh, Because Easter's never over and in the seasons of the church, we, we celebrate a season that we call Easter time or the season of Easter that goes between Easter Sunday and the day of Pentecost. It's a time for us to particularly think about, reflect on, and integrate into our lives the message of resurrection, the hope of resurrection. The lectionary, directs us though to a curious set of readings for this season. It invites us to the book of First Peter. First Peter is, well, it's not as strange as Second Peter, but it is pretty strange in that it is written not to people who are rooted and grounded and established in in their communities for generation upon generation. If you're a second, third, or fourth generation riversider, First Peter it may not be your book. Because Peter, First Peter is written to exiles. It's written to people who are refugees, to men and women and their families <clears throat> who had to flee their homes their businesses, their extended clan relationships, all that they knew and all that they cherished, all the familiar sights and sounds and smells, the soundtrack of their lives, they had to leave it behind. First, Peter's written to Syria. First, Peter's written to Somalia. Peter's written to El Salvador. We, rooted and grounded and safe and secure in our ways, we will have a hard time hearing this book. I have a hard time hearing this book. What's going on in this letter? is that Christians are becoming increasingly uncomfortable in the world that they inhabit. Rome is in transition from its republican virtues to its imperial domination. And in the ancient world, part of becoming an empire meant that your leader went from being a strong man to a god. Now, I don't know exactly how that happened, but that's what happened in Rome, and it's what happened in every empire before Rome. Christians found themselves uncomfortable with the notion that the Roman Empire, the Roman Emperor, was somehow a god. And so they began to be persecuted. Now we think of persecution as firing squads and torture chambers and and uh, killing fields. You know, we we take it to the extreme, but persecution never begins that way. Persecution begins with slurs. Oh, Christian, do you know what they do in their worship? Do you know what those Christians do when they get together? They're cannibals. They they eat flesh and they drink blood. Yuck! They're terrible people. Do you know they won't let the general public into their worship services because, because they've got something to hide, don't they? That's how persecution begins. That was what was beginning. As Peter wrote, as Peter reflected on the state of the church, and all of a sudden, men and women of faith were leaving their homes because the slurs were becoming too great, and the slurs had translated from just slurs into, well, I'm not going to favor that business. I'm not, I'm not going to that shop. They're Christians. I'm, I'm going to my friendly neighborhood pagan store. Where where we worship the gods that the Romans worship, not some invisible god out there in space somewhere. Pretty soon, Christians couldn't make a living. The economic boycott then turns into a crystal knock. Let's go torch their businesses, make room for real Romans to have real businesses. And soon, it was time to pack up and leave. And they did. And Peter, in 1 Peter 1, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, describes this reality. The gods-elect strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, provinces of modern-day Turkey, Palestinian and North African and... Italian Jews and Christians relocating from various parts of the empire to that to that corner of the empire, that Asia Minor, that borderland, where maybe, just maybe, somewhere in a little tiny village along the Black Sea, it might be safe to raise a family and worship the Jesus who had changed my life. And so the Christians fled in drips and drabs and then in dozens and then in whole cohorts, relocating. And Peter begins his words to these exiles, to these refugees, to these aliens, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What? Not oh you poor, poor refugees, you poor suffering believers, you oh it, this is a tragedy. Oh, we're going to stand in solidarity with you in injustice. Praise is the first directive from Peter to these refugees. Because hope begins with praise. But what is hope? You know, hope is a, hope's a difficult concept to uh, grasp in the postmodern world. Because hope requires that we share a common story together. Hope, hope requires that we have a narrative in common with each other. And in our postmodern world, we, have, we, we don't have a common narrative. One narrative is that, you know, existential narrative of Jean-Paul Sartre, there is no exit, hell is other people. Uh, it's It's the reality that we are alone in the world, hope is an empty promise. Or you can take a brighter, more optimistic tone, you know, hope is a little trash can sized robot holding plans to the Death Star. Um, Hope is an old geezer who didn't want to play the role uh, and did so only once and finally got through it. But help us Obi-Wan, you're our only hope. And Jediism is now a real religion in parts of the world. It is the fifth largest faith in the UK today. Seriously? Seriously. That's what people put it on their senses. Jediism. <laughs> Honest to goodness, Drew. So is hope, is hope a rebellion spurred on by somebody with a sufficient level of midichlorines in his bloodstream? Or is hope an empty, vacuous promise? That can't possibly come true. Peter finds a third way. Peter says to exiles, There is hope. Because exiles have a story. Part of the problem of postmodernity and part of our easy acceptance as North Americans, as Westerners in the postmodern world is that we don't quite fully embrace the idea that not having a common narrative is a bad thing. we've, We've bought into the gospel according to Fritz Perls. You do your thing, and I'll do my thing, and if we meet somewhere, isn't that cool? Instead of, we have a common story. Exiles have a common story. Exiles know what it's like to be slandered and then rejected and finally ruined and ultimately forced to flee and start all over again. Exiles and refugees have a story. They understand hope. That's all they've got left. And so when Peter begins his letter to these exiles, to these refugees, to these aliens, and he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is not being vacuous or insensitive. He's grounding hope in its only reality. God establishes Christ as the foundation of our hope. You feel disconnected from the world? There's hope. His name is Jesus. Now, we can frame that in bumper sticker formulations, you know. Christ is the answer, but what's the question? Uh, I found it, but I wasn't really looking for it. You know, we can we can figure out any set of bumper sticker theologies we want. Hope is far more complex than that. Hope is hard work. Hope is not smiling optimism. Hope is not playing happy days are here again, over and over and again until we believe it. Hope is hard work. Hope is having everything you have worked for ruined and lost and broken and destroyed and starting again. Hope is being in that space where the way you thought life was going to work out just didn't happen. And it's okay. We've bought into a Christian narrative that says, whatever your heart desires, God wants to give that to you. I'm not sure that the audience that Peter wrote to would believe that. I think they had experienced deprivation and ruin and pain and suffering and they persevered. Persevered out of praise because they understood that at the heart of their lives was not a set of aspirations. was not a mission statement full of goals. What was at the center of their lives was a relationship with the co-creator of the universe, the incarnated God, Jesus of Nazareth. And that that is what bound them to each other, as the church, to the situation they lived in, and to the God who led them. God established Christ as the foundational basis of our hope. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And whether we are established, safe, secure, middle-class Christians here in warm Southern California or whether we're a first-century Christian clinging to life on the dark and stormy shores of the Black Sea as a refugee, that resurrection story is central to who and what we are. Peter goes on to say in verses 4 and 5 that that God is about permanently maintaining our hope as our inheritance passage from Psalm 16 that Claire read for us at the beginning of worship was about how our inheritance was in a good place. The lines had formed up nicely. Tell that to exiles and refugees who've lost their inheritance. Everything they had worked for, everything they had slaved over, everything they had suffered for, everything they had striven for in their lives, gone. And no no government agency ready to give them a low interest loan to get started over again. No, No FEMA trailer, nothing. They're on their own. Peter says to them God has permanently, will permanently maintain your inheritance. The gifts of God. Don't depend on your current circumstance. Whatever it is you're experiencing, whatever difficulties, pain, struggle, worry, anxiety, you feel in this moment, that's not the final word, Peter is saying. The final word is that God has a great inheritance for us. An inheritance that is unspoilable, imperishable, and eternal. An inheritance that will not go away. An inheritance that cannot be blown. The lines have fallen in good places. Psalm 16 is true. And so Peter ends this passage in verse 9 with the promise of hope. That God promises us hope. That hope is the experience of joy on the other side of trials. That when we penetrate through the suffering of exile, when we penetrate through the life of being a refugee, of being an alien, of being broken and ruined and having to start again, that there is joy waiting for us that however dark and dismal and dreary and awful and hopeless it seems, right here, there is joy on the other side of it. Count on it. Bank on it. Live by it, Peter says. Because hope is experienced in the joy on the other side. So how do we, how do we appropriate this text? We who are secure and safe, we who have it all together, we whose lives are well-ordered and well-put together. Well, first of all, I think we all need to realize that we are exiles in some way, that we are exiles and refugees, nomads and prodigals. Strangers and orphans, that we, that we have all been that at some time in our lives. Paul says it this way all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We read that passage in Romans and we think, oh, what Paul is saying is all have been naughty and God's going to zap them. But that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying every single one of us have been broken. We've we've had fractures in our lives. We have, we have experienced pain. Pain of our own doing, pain of our own choosing. Pain delivered unto us by those who would claim to be our friends. We've experienced pain. And that pain has broken us, broken us and ruined us. And God's desire, God's mission, God's purpose is to make us whole. We are all exiles. We are all refugees. We are all strangers and aliens. And Peter's words are our words too. Hope is grounded in the resurrection Easter is our hope and that's why we don't just celebrate Easter on one great glorious Sunday and then pivot to whatever's next it's why we linger with this theme for a few weeks it's why we remind ourselves in our in our liturgy and in our preaching and in our singing that Christ really has risen that Christ remains risen great mystery of our faith, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Our hope is grounded in this promise. Our, our aspirations are grounded in Christmas. For unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. God's great gift delivered to us in a pretty little bow and a package. No, actually in a food trough. But still delivered to us Easter is the continuing reality that hope is grounded in something real hope is grounded in the resurrection but it's more than just something grounded in this great event of history this watershed reality that Christ has risen hope is also the essence of God's promise to creation The Australian theologian Jared McKenna writes It is completely appropriate for Earth Day, yesterday, to fall in Eastertide, for there is no more radical affirmation of creation than resurrection. The earth matters to God. The earth matters so much that he sent his son who died but didn't stay dead. Hope is the essence of God's promise to creation. Hope is when we distill all of that, and in its most concentrated form, what we have left is hope. Not pie in the sky wondering, but the concrete reality that because Jesus is raised from the dead, God demonstrates in our everyday lives that he cares about everything in our lives. But finally, hope is not a microwavable commodity. Hope takes time. Just get over it whatever you've been broken by or about, someone in your life is going to come to you and say, can you just get over it? Can you just get on with life? The answer of a believer is no. I don't get over stuff. You live in it and through it on the journey to hope. Because hope is not an aspiration. Hope is not pie in the sky out there that someday I'll lay aside everything that hurts and I'll be wonderful. That's a little bit like me going to bed at night and hoping to wake up in the morning weighing 175 pounds. (laughs) Just ain't going to happen as much as I'd like it to. Hope takes a lifetime. The old gospel song, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. A lifetime of living out the gospel in response to the good news of the resurrection. And so hope is not an add water and stir commodity. Hope is not microwavable. Hope doesn't appear in two minutes with a ding. Hope is a lifetime of work, well-invested, confident in the joy of the good news. And so this morning for us, a question. I suppose it's really two questions, but I'd like to think of it as just one Is your hope an aspiration or a destination? Is your hope something you hope for? Or is it a place you're headed for? Is hope merely aspirational in your life? I hope someday people like me better. I hope someday I weigh less. I hope someday I could catch for the Dodgers and bat six. You know, is your hope aspirational? Or is it a destination? Is it a place you intend to end up? How does an Easter faith nurture your hope along the journey of life? Annie Lamott said it this way. Hope begins in the dark. The stubborn stubborn hope that if you just show up and try to do the right thing, the dawn will come. You wait and watch and work. You don't Give up. That's hope. You don't give up. One more thing. Anne Lamott said it so simply, so I had to counterbalance that with a German theologian to make it more complex. (laughs) Jürgen Moltmann says it this way, believing in the resurrection does not just mean assenting to a dogma and noting a historical fact. It means participating in this creative act of God's. Resurrection is not a consoling opium, soothing us with the promise of a better world in the hereafter. It is the energy for a rebirth of this life. Hope doesn't point to another world focused on the redemption of this one. The exiles in Asia Minor, huddled along the Black Sea, torn from their homes and their businesses and their extended families could have heard Peter's call to praise and said, on you. Instead, they heard that God's at work in the redemption of this world for every single one of us. The beauty of hope is that it begins right now. Hope is not a consoling opium for the future. Hope begins right now. Thanks be to God for His Word. Let's take a moment, if I can get Jenna to scroll back a slide to that question. Is your hope an aspiration or a destination? I wonder if we could take a few minutes and just talk to each other about that. Is hope aspirational or is it a destination? How does an Easter faith nurture your hope? along the journey of life. May we be anchored in the hope of Christ's resurrection, rooted and grounded in the daily experience of resurrection all around us, and living towards the hope of glory that is Christ's redemption of all the world that is to come. Amen.